to The People's Scientist, the podcast dedicated to helping us optimize our health with the latest scientific findings on nutrition, health, and medicine. I, your host, Dr. Stephanie Caligiuri, will be here with you every single week, bringing us information to ignite our thinking to help us be one step closer to the healthiest we can be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the People Scientist Podcast. This is your first time tuning in, then welcome to the People Scientist Army, where every week I am arming you with the scientific knowledge to help you lead the healthiest life you possibly can. So let's jump right into into today's topic, which is all about our brain on junk food. What does junk food do to our brain, and what are the consequences of this for mental illness and mental health? you want to know the answers to these questions, then keep listening on. The concept that eating fast food, including, for example, hamburgers, pizza, hot dogs, French fries, and candies, the fact that these foods are associated with a higher prevalence of depression has been published many times over. For example, Sanchez, Vigalas, and colleagues published in the journal Public Health and Nutrition a study in nearly 9,000 people living in Spain. They divided up their study population into categories of how much fast food people ate. Now, the people that ate the most fast food were 36% more likely to have diagnosed depression versus those that consumed fast food the least. Now, in their predictive model, they controlled for many factors, such as employment, quality of the rest of their diet, marital status, age, and more. And despite controlling for these factors, the amount of fast food that people ate was still strongly associated with a diagnosis of depression. Another study that was shared with me by one of my listeners, Arlen, was published just last month in the journal International Food Sciences and Nutrition by Banta and colleagues. Now, they studied a population of people living in California, and their study population included nearly 250,000 people and they looked at the association between diet and mental health. Now, people that were characterized as having no or low psychological stress tended to eat overall a healthier diet. They tended to eat more fruits, more vegetables, less soda, French fries, and less fast food in general, and they also tended to consume less fruit drinks and less overall sugar, versus people that were characterized as having either moderate or serious psychological distress. Now, the people that had moderate or serious psychological distress tended to have a lower quality diet with less fruits and vegetables and overall more fast food. Even I published back in 2012 in the Journal of Nutrition, Health and Aging that in a population of elderly men, when their health rating improved over five years, they were over two times more likely to have increased their fruit and vegetable intake. Similarly, the men who consumed a healthier diet tended to have better scores for their mental and physical health. But the thing is with these three studies is that they are only correlative, meaning that we don't know if junk food is a cause or a consequence of depression and psychological health. To be honest, I think it is both. That if we chronically eat junk food, this can have many negative consequences and adaptations to our brain. And in contrast, Suffering from psychological distress or mental illness may worsen our dietary habits. But one of my good colleagues, Dr. Richard O'Connor, pointed out to me that there's also a third possibility. And that is some of the brain regions or neural circuits that are implicated in depression may also be implicated in overeating or unhealthy eating behaviors. 
So the third possibility is that certain people may be predisposed to both mental illness and poor eating habits. So how about we jump into detail on, on all three of these possibilities? So possibility number one, that junk food changes our brain in a negative way in order to increase our risk of mental illness. Now, as I mentioned in episode one of this podcast called Using Our Own Neurobiology to Fight Food Addiction, I discussed a few studies that concluded that overeating high-calorie, unhealthy food, such as fast foods, can cause negative adaptations to the reward center of our brain. Now, the scientists observed in both animal and humans that the dopamine 2 receptors in the brain reward pathway are decreased as a result of overeating unhealthy food. This essentially means that our brain reward pathway is blunted and as a result requires us to eat even more high calorie food just to receive the same pleasurable and rewarding brain response. So this in essence is a vicious circle that leads us to eating even more high calorie food which may result in even a more blunted dopamine signal. So if you haven't listened to episode one yet, I encourage you to do so because it's very relevant to today's episode. So this blunted brain reward response is connected with depression because a common symptom of depression is anhedonia, meaning an inability to experience pleasure. So in simple terms, junk food may negatively change our brain reward system and make things less pleasurable to us in the long run. We also know that dopamine D2 receptors in the brain reward pathway are necessary for our motivation as well as our physical activity. This concept was actually published by one of my good friends, Kavya, in the journal Cell Metabolism. We know that dopamine is not only a neurotransmitter that makes us feel happy and good, but dopamine is also very important in regulating our body's movements. Through a series of very in-depth experiments, this study concluded that physical inactivity is actually more of a consequence of obesity and overeating, not a cause. That's quite a surprising finding. The scientists showed that obesity and overeating changes our brain's dopamine system so much that it leads to reduced motivation and reduced physical activity. I think in society, we often think the opposite. But some people believe that being overweight or obese is a result of a lack of motivation and a lack of activity. But here the scientists show the opposite, that a lack of motivation and physical activity is actually a consequence of overeating unhealthy food. Now this gives some evidence to support people's personal stories that when they say when they eat a bunch of junk food that they just lack a motivation to do anything. Here the scientists show that there is actually scientific evidence to support this. Now we know that a lack of motivation and a lack of physical activity is also a symptom of depression. But the good news is, again, as I mentioned in episode one, physical activity can reverse the scenario. Physical activity can increase dopamine receptors in the brain reward pathway and improve our levels of motivation and improve pleasure in our lives again. So it is pretty clear the negative effect that junk food and overeating has on our brain's reward pathway, but physical activity can help reverse that. Another link between junk food and depression is the role of inflammation. Now there is an amazing review written by Calder and colleagues in the British Journal of Nutrition in 2011. There is this concept that every time we eat, we have an immune and inflammatory response. Our immune system works in part through inflammation. 
Now think about it. Eating means that we are introducing a foreign object into our body. So our body essentially needs to assess the situation and make sure that what we've eaten is safe. So our body creates an immune inflammation response. This is actually one of the arguments in support of fasting or time-restricted eating. The more often someone eats, and that means the more often the immune system and inflammation needs to be activated in order to assess the potential risk for something being eaten that was dangerous. But what is most important here is that we also know that certain foods can actually increase this inflammatory response from eating. You shouldn't be surprised. It is ingredients that are most commonly found in junk food and fast food. What increases inflammation in the body is those refined carbohydrates, sugars, and saturated fatty acids, trans fatty acids, and fried foods. But there is good news. There are certain foods that we know reduce the inflammatory response after eating. Now, this includes vegetables, fruits, and anti-inflammatory omega-3 fatty acids that can be found, for example, in salmon, sardines, flaxseed, flax oil, walnuts, and chia seed. So there is a clear link that fast food induces inflammation and oxidative stress in our bodies. But what is the link with inflammation and depression? Now, many scientists have shown that inflammation changes metabolic processes in our brain that can increase the likelihood of depression. We know, for example, that administering a pro-inflammatory molecule called interferon can induce symptoms of depression. Now, this was published by Felger and colleagues in 2013. This is even further supported by a study that showed some patients that had to undergo interferon treatment, that pro-inflammatory molecule, molecule treatment, that more than 50% of those patients had the diagnostic criteria for major depressive disorder within three months of starting the treatment. So it is thought that depressive symptoms occur because of this inflammatory response, particularly because inflammation can impact the metabolism of serotonin. Now, inflammation is not the only cause of depression and does not completely explain its onset because it seems to be a condition that arises as a result of many causes. However, inflammation is an important factor that explains a possible cause or progression of depression. For example, one of the central pathways that are being studied looking at inflammation and depression is the kynurenine pathway. Now, tryptophan is an amino acid that can be converted into serotonin, but stress and inflammation can lower levels of serotonin and dopamine. Because in the presence of stress and inflammation, instead of tryptophan being converted to serotonin, it is preferentially shifted to produce kynurenine and other mediators such as quinolinic acid. Now the metabolites of kynurenine degrade serotonin, and they can also act on glutamate receptors in our brain such as the NMDA receptors to induce neuron toxicity. Now, in the third episode of this podcast, I had discussed how depression can be characterized as having too much glutamate and not enough GABA. So inflammation can be a particular cause of depression here. Now, this was, very, this was reviewed very well by Gion in the Journal of Neuroimmunology in 2017. In an inflammatory state, serotonin is also less likely to be converted into melatonin. And we know that melatonin is very important for our ability to get a good night's sleep. So in a state of inflammation, not only is serotonin reduced, but melatonin may also be reduced because melatonin can also be degraded by that IDO molecule in that kynurenine pathway. 
So if people are suffering with depression and are also having difficulty sleeping, it may be because their inflammatory levels are high. So it is a possibility that junk food can increase the odds of depression. I think it's certainly possible because we know that junk food increases inflammation and inflammation shifts our serotonin metabolism to the kynurenine pathway, increasing our risk of depressive-like feelings. And we also know that junk food tends to change our brain reward pathway, reducing our feelings of motivation and physical activity and reducing the pleasure that we receive from things in our life. So I think that there is certainly a connection. But there's also possibility number two, that eating junk food is not a cause, but a consequence of mental illness. Now this has been reported many times over. For example, people that experience seasonal affective disorder meaning that they feel like they have more depressive-like symptoms during the winter months, tend to eat more calories and sugary foods during the winter months. The hypothesized reason is because they are trying to feel better and to raise their dopamine levels by eating junk food and sugary foods that we know increase our dopamine. But mental illness is sometimes associated with a lack of motivation and energy as well. Now, let's be honest, eating healthy takes effort. It is so much easier to just go to a fast food place or to order in and eat something that takes little effort to obtain or prepare. Eating healthy takes both effort, thought, and motivation. So in short, it may be difficult for people with mental illness to find the motivation to eat healthy. But unfortunately, as I mentioned earlier, we know that junk food can increase the risk of negative effects on the brain and for mental illness. So it truly can be a vicious cycle. Now, possibility number three is that some people may have a predisposition to both overeating unhealthy foods and mental illness. For example, we know that there are certain genetics or certain brain regions that are connected in both mental illness and unhealthy eating habits. Within our genetics, some people may express slight differences in a specific gene, for example, versus the rest of the population. Now, this slight difference in a gene is called an allele or a single nucleotide polymorphism, which is often abbreviated SNP. Now, these small genetic differences can result in some proteins or receptors in our brain act differently. For example, there is a gene called CHRNA5, and that gene encodes for a very specific nicotinic receptor. Now, there is a group of people that live with this genetic difference or genetic allele, they actually estimate that about 30% of Europeans have this genetic allele for this gene. Now, this allele causes the nicotinic receptors to become less functional. Now, Paul Kenny and Mariella DiBiase separately have shown that this genetic allele for this nicotinic receptor is associated with a higher risk for cigarette smoking and alcoholism. The reason being, when the scientists replicated this genetic allele in the mice, the mice took a lot more nicotine at very high doses because they didn't feel the negative or aversive feelings of high nicotine. So if you never feel sick from smoking a cigarette, you are more likely to continue smoking and to smoke even more, which is what we see in people with this genetic difference. So this is just an example of how our, our genetics can change how we respond to certain foods, drugs, or situations. Now, in regard to genes that predispose people to depression or anxiety, it isn't as easy to determine. The reason being environment plays such a pivotal role in the development of depression or anxiety. Some people will be exposed to certain hard situations or life events and come out resilient and without mental illness, whereas some people won't. By contrast, some people will have the quote unquote perfect life 
but still battle with severe depression and anxiety. So it is rather complicated. But nevertheless, there are certain brain regions or genetics that have been linked to eating behaviors and mental illness. For example, Rigel in 2010 in the journal Biological Psychiatry observed that in two different clinical populations, specific variations in the gene Homer 1 was strongly associated with major depression. Now they have replicated this genetic variation in mice and they do note that the mice portray signs of depression, drug reinforcement, and food addiction. And remember how in last week's episode, when I talked about how CRISPR gene editing can be useful in research, this is a perfect example. We found a correlation between a gene and depression, but in order to know how this gene may cause depression, we need to model this genetic variation in mice. So for example, as I said, variations in the gene Homer 1 may be associated with clinical depression and eating behaviors. Now besides genes, we can also look at brain regions and circuits that are both important in depression and food consumption. For example, again in my very first episode on this podcast, I introduced to all of you the brain region called the lateral habenula, which has been coined as the disappointment center of the brain because it is activated when a reward such as sugar is expected but not received. This brain region is also very strongly implicated in depression. In some patients that do not respond to medications for their depression, they've actually undergone deep brain stimulation of the lateral habenula and has proven to be very successful in managing their depression. Many case studies, for example, by Sartorius in 2010, have been published showing that this is an effective treatment strategy. So this is just another example of how the same brain region may be impacted in those with depression as, as well as in those that quote-unquote have a food addiction to unhealthy foods. So for example, if someone is born with the genetic allele for the Homer 1 gene, or if someone is born with a difference in the activity of their lateral habenula, it is possible that they may be predisposed to both depression and poor eating habits. Okay, so that is a wrap for this week's episode. In summary, there are very strong correlations between eating a lot of junk food and fast food and the risk for having mental illnesses such as depression and anxiety. But why is this the case? Well, we know that sugary and fatty foods can impact our brain's reward center, which in mice we know leads to a lack of motivation and a lack of pleasure, which is a symptom of depression. We also know that these unhealthy fast foods can increase inflammation, and inflammation can change the metabolism of serotonin in our brain, shifting it to the kynurenine pathway, which as a result can increase the risk of depressive-like feelings. We also know that eating junk food and fast food can be a consequence of mental illness, as eating healthy takes motivation and effort, which can be difficult for some people that have mental illness. Lastly, we know that particular genetic differences or brain regions may be connected and predispose people to both depression and unhealthy eating habits. So my final takeaway message of this episode is, if you are feeling blue or more melancholy than usual or battle with depression and anxiety, keep in mind that your diet can have a huge impact. Try your very best to eliminate refined carbohydrates and sugars, fast foods and fried fatty meals, as we know these foods induce inflammation and are associated with mental illness. Eating more vegetables and fruits, high fiber foods and sources of anti-inflammatory omega-3s such as salmon, 
flaxseed, flax oil, chia seed, and walnuts can reduce inflammation and are associated with a lower risk of mental illness and psychological stress. So I hope that this episode was really interesting for all of you. If you liked the episode, then please let me know by leaving a review or by following me on any of my social media platforms. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. So my People Scientist Army, I have armed you with the scientific knowledge on how junk food can impact our brain and our risk for mental illness. It is now up to you to do with that information what you will. I hope you all have a super healthy week and make sure to tune in to next week's episode on The People Scientist. I am a scientist simply sharing scientific evidence. Some of the clinical interventions I discuss are not appropriate for everyone. Before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle, please do consult the advice of your physician or dietitian. My opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect those of Mount Sinai Hospital and its affiliates.